And aren't you glad that he does? Jesus saves. Thank you, choir and orchestra. Well, recently, Linda and I went back home for her 25th high school reunion. <laughs> At least that's what she told me, but the people really looked old. We went back to her reunion. We took my little car because I enjoyed driving my little car, and I hate to fly anymore. All that goes around it, I just hate to fly. So we took our little car. Things were going well. We were having a good time. We got about 15 miles this side of Pascagoula, Mississippi, and light came on, said that my tire was going flat. So I wandered around a little bit, and finally I found a little shade tree garage tire shop. I went in and told the man, I said, my, you know, my tire's going down. He looked at it, and he said, yes, it is. I don't have that tire and I don't have the equipment to change your tire. He said, but I can plug it. I said, that sounds like a good idea, plug it. So he plugged it and he said, this is gonna be fine. So we started driving, we went on to Houston and uh, then from, spent the night with the Bassanios and we left there and came up to Fort Worth. My sister lives there and then we went west over to Wichita Falls and then on out to Iowa Park where Linda and I grew up. Things are going great, my tire's holding up, and then we start home. We decide that we're gonna go back through I-40, so we go up to Oklahoma City, have dinner with uh, Governor Nye and his wife, and then we start back. I'm about an hour and 15 minutes on this side of Memphis, and my light comes on and says that my tire's going flat. There was a rest stop not far from there, so I sort of limped over to the rest stop and we called the tow truck because I have no spare. We called the tow truck and he said that he would be out and so we get out and we, we're waiting there and I get a call from him. He said, uh, I'm gonna be a little bit late. He said, it's gonna take me a while to get this, uh, this car that's on my truck off. I said, well, okay. We waited a while, he called back and he said, it's gonna be a little bit later, he said, because I'm having problems with this car. And I said, well, what's the problem? He said, they don't wanna pay for it. Well, that's a problem. We waited and a little bit later, he called again and told me he was gonna be later. At any rate, we were there for four hours waiting on a tow truck to come. I had been through Memphis going to Nashville and he said, now you have to go back to Memphis. I said, why, I'm going to Nashville. He said, because your insurance won't pay me unless you go back to Memphis, cause it's closer than Nashville. So we had to go back to Memphis and spend the night there while I'm trying to get a flat fixed. The key to life is not how well we plan, but how well we handle the interruptions of life. William Ward wrote, interruptions can be viewed as sources of irritation or opportunities for service, as moments lost or experience gained, as time wasted or horizons widened. They can annoy us or enrich us depending on our attitude toward them. The cross was God's plan for man's redemption, but as Jesus is moving to the cross, there are a number of interruptions that became opportunities, and we are going to look at one of them today. The story of Zacchaeus. 
Jesus was on the way to Jerusalem. He came through Jericho. And there he encountered Zacchaeus. Archaeologists tell us that the first humans inhabited Jericho around 9,000 B.C., which means it's one of the oldest cities in the world. Historians tell us in 35 B.C. that Mark Anthony gave the town to Cleopatra. She later leased a part of it to King Herod the Great. It was there in this historic town that Jesus encountered Zacchaeus in a sycamore tree, or as it said in some translations, a mulberry tree. Biblical scholars tell us it was probably a sycamine tree, a tree that grows to about 30 to 35 feet tall and produces fruit four to six times a year. It was there that Jesus encountered Zacchaeus. Take your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 19, beginning in verse number 1, and we look at the story. And he entered and was passing through Jericho. And behold, there was a man called by the name of Zacchaeus, and he was a chief tax gatherer, and he was rich. And he was trying to see who Jesus was, and he was unable because of the crowd, for he was small in stature. And he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree in order to see him, for he was about to pass through that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for today I must stay at your house. And he hurried and came down and received him gladly. And when they saw it, they all began to grumble, saying, He has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my possessions I will give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will give back four times as much. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Now we begin with an introduction or a description of Zacchaeus in verse 2 where it says, Behold, there was a man called by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax gatherer and he was rich. When we look at Zacchaeus, he would be considered by the world to be a success. The Bible says that he was rich. He was a tax gatherer. Now, That means that he collected taxes for Rome, but from the money that he received, he was able to keep a portion of it. So he collected taxes, but kept a portion of it. The Bible says that he was a chief tax collector. That means that there were others who collected taxes for Rome, and they paid him like a franchise. So Zacchaeus was a rich man, the Bible says. We generally admire or we envy those who were rich, and he was rich. There are the Bill Gates, the Warren Buffets. We publish the names of the wealthiest people, not the poorest people. So when we look at Zacchaeus, as far as the world was concerned, I want you to understand he was a success. The Bible says that he was rich. He was a tax gatherer. He was a chief tax gatherer. He had people working for him. 
But you see, we have a love-hate relationship with those who are successful. We admire them, but we reject them. And that was also true with Zacchaeus. Albert Barnes wrote, This class of men was despised and often infamous. They were particularly odious in the eyes of the Jews because they were considered to be traitors to their country. They were collecting taxes from the Jews for the Romans. So they were considered to be traitors. They could not hold communal office. They could not give testimony in a Jewish court. And it was considered acceptable to deceive them. That practice has not changed. There are still today those who consider it acceptable to deceive the tax man. We may envy the rich, but we don't like them. That is the reason that politicians are always trying to stir up a division of classes between the wealthy and the poor, between the haves and the have-nots. The problem with that is that it benefits the politician, but it hurts the country. When we are divided, we are hurt. And some politicians deliberately do that because it benefits them. Zacchaeus was socially rejected and he was spiritually challenged. He wanted to come to Christ, but there were some obstacles that keep from Christ and there always are. We see the obstacle with Zacchaeus, verse 3. He was trying to see who Jesus was and he was unable because of the crowd, for he was small in stature. He was vertically challenged. He wanted to come and see Jesus, but there was a crowd there. He couldn't see over the crowd, so that was the problem. That was the thing that kept him from seeing Jesus. He was short. Sometimes it is money that keeps a person from coming to Christ. That was so with the rich young ruler. You remember the story in the Bible about the rich young ruler? He came to Jesus and asked the question, Jesus, what do I have to do to have eternal life? Jesus, knowing his heart and knowing the thing that stood between him and the rich young ruler was his money. So Jesus said, sell what you have and give to the poor and you will have eternal life. Well, he could not overcome that obstacle because he loved his money more than he loved Jesus, but there was an obstacle there. Sometimes it is friends that stand between us and Jesus. That was so with Bartimaeus. Bartimaeus too was in Jericho. Jesus was coming by. Bartimaeus was a blind beggar, and he began to cry out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. But if you read the story, his friends who were there with him began to say, Bartimaeus, be quiet. Don't call any attention to us. Sit down. Don't say anything. So it was his friends that kept him from Jesus. Religion. The Apostle Paul was a religious man and it was his religious understanding that caused him to persecute the church and to re reject Jesus. So I want you to understand we may have a desire in our heart to come to Jesus, but there are always obstacles because Satan will always put obstacles there. If we are going to come to Jesus, 
then we have to overcome the obstacle that stands between us and Jesus. And Zacchaeus did. Verse 4. He ran on ahead, climbed up into a sycamore tree in order to see him, for he was about to pass that way. He wanted to see Jesus so badly that this rich man climbed up into the sycamore tree to see him. What drove him to do that? Maybe it was curiosity. He had heard about Jesus. Maybe he was curious. That's what Barnes thinks. Albert Barnes wrote, It would seem that in this case, mere curiosity led to his conversion and that of his family. Maybe so. Maybe he was just curious. Maybe it was an emptiness that he had. He was a wealthy man, but that does not mean that he was wealthy internally. I have known a lot of people who had money, who had means, and yet they were empty inside. I have known a lot of people who were wealthy, well-known, and yet inside there was this emptiness. You could see it. Maybe that was so with Zacchaeus. Maybe it was the emptiness that he felt, or perhaps it was loneliness. You see, the tax collector's were rejected by society, so they spent most of their time with other tax collectors. They didn't have many friends outside the tax collectors. Maybe it was loneliness. Because he had probably heard about Matthew. Matthew was also a tax collector. And he had become a disciple of Jesus, and Jesus and the disciples had accepted him. Maybe he thought that if I come to Jesus, if I get to know him, that I will be accepted as well. But the point is, there were obstacles that had to be overcome to come to Christ. I'm not sure what it was with him. Loneliness, emptiness, curiosity, I don't know. But I know that he overcame the obstacle because he wanted to see Jesus. Bartimaeus overcame the obstacle of his friends because he wanted to know Jesus. So he overcame the obstacles. And folks, if you have in your heart today a desire to know Jesus, you don't know him, you have a desire, I can promise you this. Satan will put an obstacle between you and the Lord that you will have to overcome to come to Christ. If you're going to come to Christ, there are obstacles always that must be overcome because Satan will put them there. Now we see the invitation to Zacchaeus in verse number 5. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry, come down, for today I must stay at your house. Zacchaeus was seeking Jesus, but Jesus found Zacchaeus. I look at the call, it was personal, first of all. You know, we talk sometimes about mass evangelism. Folks, there's no such thing as mass evangelism, it's personal. It's always personal. There were a lot of people there, but Jesus called his name Zacchaeus. It was personal. The Apostle Paul, before he became the Apostle Paul, was on the road to Damascus with other people. And Jesus called him. Those who were with him heard the noise. They didn't know what it was, but they heard the noise. They saw the light. But the Lord called Paul. It was God's call to Paul. It was personal. 
And God's call to us is personal as well. I was in vacation Bible school as a boy. I still remember being there. And the pastor gave the message, I don't know what he said, but I remember that in my heart there was a desire to know Jesus. And even though there were other children who were there, I felt the call to commit my life to Jesus because I was called. Today you are surrounded by other people, but it could be that the Lord is calling your name. Maybe not the person next to you, but he's calling you because it is always personal. When the Lord calls us to salvation, it is a personal call. When the Lord calls us to service, it is a personal call. God spoke to Moses in the burning bush and said, Moses, I want you to, to be the deliverer, the one who leads my people out of bondage. And Moses resisted. He said, who am I to do that? Why should Pharaoh pay any attention to anything that I say? I can't, and, and I'm not a good speaker. I think you're talking about Aaron, my brother now. Aaron is a good talker. He's probably the one that you're thinking of. But the call was not to Aaron, it was to Moses. Aaron assisted, but the call was to Moses. God called him. When God called David to be the king, he was rejected by his father. His father didn't believe that he was going to be the one who would be the king. The prophet didn't believe that David was the one who would be the king. But God's call was to David. It was to David because God's call is personal. It's amazing, isn't it? That God's call to salvation is personal. He calls us personally. When God calls us to service, he calls us personally. It was a personal call. It was also gentle. Look at verse number five. Zacchaeus, hurry and come down for today. I must stay at your house. Remember, Zacchaeus was not liked by the people because he was a tax collector. Albert Barnes wrote, he does not disdain the mansions of the rich any more than he does the dwelling places of the poor, provided there be a humble heart. It's a good message for the church. It's a good message for us. Whether a person is rich or poor, they need Jesus. Whether a person is important or not known at all, they need Jesus. And the church is to reach out to all people. It was an urgent call. He said, hurry. But did you know the call to salvation is always urgent? That's what Paul said when he said, today is the day of salvation, today. I, I, I wonder how many people there are in hell because they said, well, not today. Maybe next Sunday, maybe next week, but not today. But the call is urgent. Today is the day of salvation. The writer of Hebrews said, harden not your heart. Because, friend, I really believe the Bible teaches us that when God calls us to salvation and we continue to resist him, there comes a time when God says that, well, then no more. My spirit will not always strive with man. Something else I notice about the call is that it's unconditional. Jesus didn't say to Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus, now clean up your act and come down, then I'm, I'm going to go home with you. He just said, come down. I'm going home with you today. Unconditional. 
My friend, did you know that his call to you is unconditional? Just like you are. Because the Bible says in Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I don't know what you're involved in. I don't know what sin you might be involved in. But the Lord says to you, I love you just like you are. Now, he loves you too much to leave you like you are, but he loves you just like you are. And he calls you just like you are. It is an unconditional call. How does one respond when one is called by God? Well, probably what is typical is in Luke chapter 14 when it tells about a parable of a man who was having a banquet and he sent out invitations for people to come to his banquet. And the Bible says, and they all began to make excuses. They had all the excuses that we use. They all began to make excuses. That wasn't Zacchaeus. The Lord called Zacchaeus and he responded immediately. Verse number six, and he hurried and came down and received him gladly. He responded to the call immediately, immediately. John and James responded to the call of the Lord immediately. Matthew 4, 21, 22, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them, and they immediately left the boat and their father and followed him. Peter and Andrew responded immediately. Matthew 4.10, and he said to them, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And they immediately left the nets and followed him. Matthew immediately followed him. How is it that when the gospel was heard and the invitation was extended that they followed immediately? Today we sing 14 verses of just as I am saying, won't you come? You know, I think that if you or I were in a house that was on fire and the firefighters came and broke open the door, we would respond immediately, wouldn't we? And that's exactly what Jesus has done. He has paid for our sin that we might have everlasting life. He calls us and we should respond immediately. He responded gladly, which means rejoicing. In other words, he opened his heart to the Lord and he opened his home to the Lord, he rejoiced. There's the invitation to Zacchaeus and then the transformation of Zacchaeus, verse number eight. And Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, behold, Lord, half of my possessions I will give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will give back four times as much. I grew up with an old saying and probably many of you did too, at least the version of it. The proof of the pudding is in the eating. Have you heard that? Proof of the pudding. In other words, is it real? The proof of the pudding is in the eating. I don't know what you think that is. We probably think of banana pudding. Or me, it's bread pudding because I love bread pudding. The proof of the pudding is in the eating. Well, actually, it is a reference to a 17th, 18th century situation. And it refers to sausage. 
Back then they would take an intestine of some animal, they would fill it with minced meat and blood and spices and so forth. It was a sausage. But because of the unsanitary conditions, many times it would be rancid and it could be fatal. So if you ate that sausage, that pudding, you knew if it, were, it was good if you didn't die. So the proof of the pudding is in the eating. That is how you know that it is real. Well, Zacchaeus invited Jesus into his heart. Was it real? Was there any proof of the pudding? Well, he became right with God. Verse number nine, Jesus said to him, Be today salvation has come to this house because he too is the son of Abraham. So now that he's right with God. So he comes to the Lord. He responds to the call. And the Bible says that he is right with God. But he is also right with man, verse number 8. And Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my possessions I will give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will give back four times as much. Folks, you cannot be right with God and not be right with man. can't be right with God and not be right with man. As we look at this, I see that he was right with God and he was right with man. There was a requirement that came from the law concerning Zacchaeus. Barnes said if he confessed it himself without being detected and tried, he had only to restore what was stolen and add to it a fifth part of its value. Now that was the law. If he had defrauded anyone, he had to restore it and give back a fifth more. That was the law. His response was a response of love. He said, I'll give half of my possessions and 400% to anybody I have defrauded. The proof was in the pudding. He came to know Jesus and his life was changed. In fact, the early church father Clement of Alexandria said his heart and his name were changed. He was said to have become the first bishop of Caesarea. I really believe this. You cannot be saved and remain the same. You can be a Baptist and not be changed, but you can't be a Christian and not be changed. If, you, if you've been changed by the Lord, then you cannot sin successfully. You sin, but you cannot sin successfully. The proof's in the pudding. Now here's the conclusion, verse number 10. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. This probably was a remark Jesus made to the crowd. He'd been talking with Zacchaeus, and now then he probably addresses the crowd in verse number 10. Because this story speaks of man's condition, that he is lost. Without Jesus, we are lost. We are helpless. We try to fill the void that is in our life with money, with alcohol, with sex. All of these things trying to fill the emptiness in our lives, and it doesn't work. It's hopeless. So we receive God's grace or the offer of God's grace. God seeks us and God saves us if we're willing to trust Him. 
I do believe that there can be a time when we have waited too late to respond to the Lord's call. I read the story of a young man who was not quite 30. He was dying. He said to his doctor, who was a Christian, I've missed it. I have missed salvation. Doctor, being a Christian, talked to him about deathbed conversions and it's never too late and so forth. And the young man said, the 11th hour has long since passed. Six months, uh, months ago, God spoke to me and I refused. The doctor encouraged him, but he said, it's no use, doctor, for I cannot believe. My God, if I could only believe, if only I could believe. And he died without the Lord. Folks, the Lord is very gracious. And he offers salvation to those who are not saved, but there can come a time when he says, you missed that opportunity. I really believe that. My spirit will not always strive with man. Do you know Jesus? The proof's in the pudding. Do you know Jesus? If not, I pray for you that today you might trust him as Savior. You may be a church member, you may have been baptized. And yet your heart has never been transformed. Trust Him today. Father and God, we come to a time of invitation asking, Father, that you speak to people's lives. Lord, I pray that you might reveal to us what you see when you look at us. Whether or not we are just religious people or we're saved people. I pray for those who have never trusted Christ that today they would. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to ask that you stand with me. The choir's going to sing. If you're here without Christ, trust Him today. If you're looking for a church home, our doors are open. As they sing, you come, I'll greet you as you do.